0: Welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Let's get started. greetings and welcome to this episode of heartbeat for hire i am so happy to bring you our guest today rebecca ahmed is an award-winning speaker business consultant and an energy leadership index master practitioner and a professional certified coach her deep real world experience or expertise derives from a decade plus spent as an hr leader at three of the largest casino and resort chains worldwide During her tenure as a people services leader in hospitality, Rebecca is most notable for helping to guide executives through the $2.8 billion merger and acquisition to Boyd Gaming Corporation and Penn National Gaming. At Pinnacle Entertainment, she led the team's HR operations and HR technology integration for approximately 16,000 team members. Caesars Entertainment retained Rebecca as their new chief energy officer in 2021. Rebecca was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. She is the oldest of nine children and thus began her people management career quite early in life. Rebecca, welcome. So happy to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's my pleasure. Would you do us the honor of sharing a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are now? Absolutely. I mean, you shared a lot, so thank you so much. Um, As as you said, I come from HR, so
1: opened up the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, Encore Las Vegas, and then continued on working um, primarily in hospitality until we did that huge M&A, as you shared. And I really took a step back and thought, what do I want to do next? I have this opportunity to just kind of start fresh. And I asked a lot of people going through this transition, what is one word you would explain about me? And I kept hearing energy, 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 energy. And as you can tell, I come with a lot of energy. And so I really leaned into that and I jumped into IPEC and did a year long certification and started coaching and got my PCC. So I've been working with, you know, clients for over 500 hours now. And I've really just leaned into helping organizations create a motivational workplace culture by understanding their energy, whether it's on an individual basis, on a team basis, or within the entire organization. And making the shifts is just so much fun because it empowers organizations to move forward, especially as we have this
0: changing landscape that we've all been experiencing these last few years. I would love you to share some of your observations. I mean, I'm seeing a paradigm shift in the way that we're talking about culture, the way that we're talking about leadership, but I'm super interested in your perspective.
1: Yeah. So it really depends on where people are with their journey within their organization and what they're attracting. So I work a lot with organizations who attract Gen Z and this is a completely different generation coming into the mix, right? So if your organization has a lot of Gen Z, you're going to see this transition faster than if you're not, right? That's just a natural progression of of the different generations. But what I'm seeing is communication around DEIA and Values, everything is values driven. And this is such a shift because it's really about creating that alignment between the individual and the organization, mm. which has been needed to be done, but oh. it's it's starting to really become a non-negotiable. And it's really exciting for practitioners such as yourself and me who get to get in there and really see this come to light.
0: It's so refreshing. And I think you're right. It's been so needed. You know, we saw in the great hiatus, otherwise known as the pandemic, um, <laughs> yes. you know, there was this demand for change. There was this Um, People were fed up. They weren't going to put up with this crappy style of leadership anymore. And, you know, leaders have really been forced to hone what I call power skills, not soft skills. So you work with a lot of leaders. What are some of the, the best examples of leadership you've seen?
1: Oh my goodness. I've seen so many. In hospitality, we call them magical moments. So you not only make these magical moments for your guests who are coming for their first time, maybe on a honeymoon or a trip to Las Vegas or traveling the world, but we do this with our employees too. Because when you empower them and get them excited and create magical moments within their workplace, they deliver that to their client. This is all energy just continuously growing in a positive light. So I think, you know, when you talk about leaders and And I really like to tell leaders, like, I want to give them a hug when people say, oh, leadership has been crappy because they haven't been provided the tools, right? We have not shifted. Yeah, we haven't shifted that role. Like I know as a leader myself, if I didn't have the leadership who invested in me reading books, taking trainings, having crucial conversations, continuously fostering an environment of growth, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be the leader that I am today. And I definitely can look back and say, whoo, Rebecca, that was not, that was not your best leadership moment because you didn't go through that yet. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the shift Lindsay's we're seeing is that people are finally investing in what does it mean to be a leader? And the next shift needs to be how do we start pulling back those duties, the to-do lists on leadership so they can lead. This is where that paradigm is. When you ask somebody where strategy is and they tell you they do strategy in their sleep or the shower, that should not be the answer. (laughs) right? (laughs) Because they're doing too much and they're not getting to really hone in on those skills. And so that's what I think is really exciting is if you do want to jump into leadership now, you shouldn't be just left to like, fend for yourself. There's oh, so much that. out there to really provide you support.
0: I, I love that. And and I think um, I always say, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And if you've never had a great leader, you don't know what that looks like. So, you know, I, I constantly am saying, you know, all of the best athletes, all of the best, you know, vocalists, all of the best Really, anybody at their craft who wants to get better hires a coach or they take training. And for those leaders that have been doing it this way for 20 years with reasonable success, what's your advice to them?
1: Get curious, right? Start asking questions so you can see different perspectives and ways you can really seek to learn and grow. That's always my first recommendation is lead with that curiosity, mm-hmm. because then you start just like everything starts becoming a question, right? Mm-hmm. We, we all have an opportunity to learn more. So where are you not leaning in to learn more? Whether that's being present with your team, whether that's asking them what they need, whether that's meditating and reflecting on your own values and what you bring to the table. When you get curious, you start at least getting closer and closer mm-hmm. to making
0: progress. I love that you hit on values, and I think that's been kind of uh, under the radar, often confused with mission statements, <laughs> and yeah. um, now they're, they're becoming more aligned with each other. So for the companies that think they have their values all set, um, how do you advise them to check themselves? Yeah,
1: always do an assessment, right? Know where you are before you can move forward. So are your values actually reflective of your culture? Are they empowering your culture or are they just words on a painted wall? Mm. That is a huge difference, right? And if you have a disconnect, that is a beautiful opportunity to really engage with your employees and say, whoa, we totally missed this. We're saying we're innovative and creative, yet none of our policies and practices actually equate to that value. Mm. So let's really have a discussion. Let's do surveys. Let's get in there and do the work to make sure that we are representative of our culture because that ensures that you're attracting the right type of talent to your culture. That ensures you're retaining your employees and it gives them a focus. Okay, I know if I lead with these values, I'm going to make confident decisions. And I know that I'm in alignment with my organization a lot of times this miscommunication that we've had in the past is just a values misalignment. Mm. It's something that can be so easily rectified. It takes some work. It takes some time. It takes vulnerability. It takes psychological safety. But when you get there, you are no longer trying to run through quicksand. And that's the difference.
0: Oh my God. You are pulling the ideas out of my head. This is so much fun. These are all the things I talk about. You hit on something earlier and that was energy. And I know you were chief energy officer and you are, you are a master practitioner. Can you just talk a little bit about your perspective on energy and why that's so important?
1: Yeah. So when we sold Pinnacle Entertainment, I had this beautiful opportunity to take a pause and say, what do I want to do next? Right. And I asked everyone I basically knew around me. It was an exercise that I got out of the landmark um, worldwide forum. And they said, ask what your superpower is or ask what you're known for, just so you can kind of hone in. And I as you can probably tell quite quickly, I come with a lot of energy. So energy, energy, energy kept popping up from every single person. And I always have had a lot of energy. And I honestly just thought it was something I naturally was had, right? That's the story my parents tell me, I came out of the womb, and I was already dancing, right? But I wanted to understand that. And I wanted to also be able to provide that as a gift to others to hone into and help them shift. Because the number one question I usually got from people is how do you accomplish so much in one day and how do you have energy at the end of the day with excitement no matter how your day has gone mm. and so I went to IPEC and did a year-long certification and did the work did the program I'm now on um, PCC certified which means I did over 500 hours I'm probably actually hitting up the, the thousand now so I probably will be doing the next exam but what it what I can share with people is when you understand your energy levels and how you're approaching a situation and the lens that you're looking through it, you can also create shifts if it's not something that's serving you. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot of areas that weren't serving me, right? Where I was just trying to go against the wind, going against that, you know, sand. And I was able to move them just by creating a perspective shift. And that's what I love gifting my clients with is empowering them with this knowledge and then creating these tools for them that work for them, right? They, we do this in partnership so that they can start not only shifting their own energy, but the energy around them, whether that's in their personal life or their professional life, because it all aligns right you don't leave one area and think that's terrible mm-hmm. and now I'm going to jump into something amazing It doesn't work like that. And oh. so it really is this holistic approach of energizing your entire world around you.
0: I, I love that. And I think it the fact that we're even talking about energy in the construct of business just shows how far we've come and how much has changed. I mean, to to get a role as the chief energy officer. I mean, this is one of the things I'm seeing so much of and I just love your perspective. Um I'm seeing chief obviously chief people officers, that's not so new, but chief well-being officers, chief heart officers, I'm a chief heartbeat officer. Um and I just I love that companies are taking a moment to recognize we have to do right by our people. We have to ensure their well-being and um, what are I mean, you've been in HR for so long. So share your perspective on that.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, Vegas is so fun and playful with this. And they have been. I think when Zappos came in, it was just an opportunity to create a shift in our workplaces because we got to experience this new culture coming in from San Francisco, right? And Tony Shea, may he rest in peace, but he what he brought to Las Vegas created this shift. Mm. And being that we're the entertainment capital of the world, We leaned in and that's not, you know, a lot of places don't do that. And it's been really exciting to share that with people outside of Las Vegas, because I work with so many organizations now on a consulting basis in New York, in D.C., in, you know, New Jersey, where they haven't maybe experienced this. And they start getting curious once again and say, oh, we can do that. Like the sky's the limit what you can do. We hold ourselves back more than anything.
0: I mean, I've been to Vegas over 50 times um, with conferences. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I think at one point I was going five times in one year. So I've certainly been there, but that is not the first thing I think of when I think of Vegas. So I love that you guys took that, own it, run with it. And now you're at really the forefront of how people are thinking about their companies. And I I love that you leaned into that. I think it's so, so important. So what are some um, some easy tips for for leaders, uh, company leaders who recognize maybe their culture has been struggling a little bit when we talked about assessments, but what else should they be thinking about?
1: Yep, so definitely do that assessment. I go into organizations and do an energy leadership assessment with them. So mm-hmm. not only on an individual basis can they understand their energy, but how is their team working? How is their department working? And then even organization-wide, I can show hot spots of where you need to create shifts. Mm-hmm. And then working with coaches, right? So I'll go in and say maybe you have a finance department that's that's showing a little bit more of this combative energy, this destructive energy. Going in and having conversations so you can create shifts. But for leaders to do this, I always lean into these five energetic success principles that I've developed through time. And by going through that and then understanding how to lead with curiosity, how to lead with love or care, how to detach from your own solution—right? What works for me might not work for your team member or work for someone else. Creating possibilities—I felt like that was such a that shifted people's mindset so much because coming out of COVID, nothing was possible in their head. Everything was so by the book because of this fear-driven... You know, we were going through a pandemic, of course but now it's time to pop out of the resilient stage and pop into the energetic stage. Mm. And with that comes a bit more risk, but it also comes with a lot of play and a lot of really exciting things that you didn't even think were possible. Mm. So I really recommend, you know, looking into those energetic success principles and trying them out, having fun with it and call yourself out when you don't do it right, or you're learning through it because yeah. that's where you get to engage.
0: I-, I love that you say call yourself out. I think, The really important thing that I love to tell leaders is, you know, I just did a post on this last week. You are not born necessarily as a leader. Leadership is learned. And yes, there are natural born leaders. There are people that are always, come on, guys, we're doing it this way. And yes, there is that personality trait, but leadership as a role and as a career um, or a job you, the things that you learn, those are, those are what make you great. And, you know, I have so many stories about people that have inspired me and, and really um, changed the way I see my, my work. Um, so I, I love that you talk about that. So can you share some of your examples of what not to do as a leader? <laughs> yes.
1: Um. Let's see some of my ones that have come up really recently. Um, Oh, I'm working with a new director and she, this is a large automotive industry across the U S they have right around 2000 employees and they have, I think 13 or 14 uh, different retail operations. And she's coming from being a really strong powerhouse director in HR at one location. And now the organization has grown so much. She's taken on a role that includes the entire enterprise Mm -hmm. and, Coming from one organization or one store, you're looking at through that lens and she is very much a doer. Check this off the list and we're able to accomplish this for the store and that's why she was so successful. But now creating a shift of looking at the entire organization, you can't do it all, nor will you be able to. And so when I think about her first 60 days in role and why her leader reached out to me and said, can you start coaching this new director? Um, she's coming from an individual focus lens to now an entire mm-hmm. enterprise lens. And she's really down on herself because she has these goals in 60 days that you can't accomplish in over a year with this many locations. And so that's one of the things is like looking at where do you need to delegate? Where do you need to be focused on strategy versus doing? And helping other people grow. She's never had a team other than maybe, you know, one coordinator under her. Now she's got 18 different HR directors under her or managers under her that would love to take on these projects. Mm -hmm. And when you deprive someone of that opportunity to grow because you think you have to do it all, I think that's where leaders have the biggest struggle because they think I've always just had to do it all. What if you create that shift where you get to be empowered so much because you have not only delegated, but you've helped coach others to grow into roles just like yourself did versus trying to take it all in and every single day being exhausted and disappointed. That's a huge, huge one.
0: I I love that. I, I call it, you know, giving people the room to do the job they were hired for.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and honoring and that yourself, giving them space, yeah,
1: giving yourself that room to do the job you were hired for mm. people don't, you, you add, all you did is, you know, when, when she stepped into this roles, added another role onto the role that she was already doing. No, no, we need to like release this one and jump into this one. And what does that look like? And that is a huge stepping stone for most leaders going into their
0: new roles. Oh, That's a good one. So you just did a recent post on quiet hiring. And I would love you to talk about what that is, because I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Um, We also we know about uh, the other quiet. So let's quiet quitting. So let's let's talk about quiet hiring, quiet hiring.
1: Yeah. This got sticky when I posted that. Holy cow. I was not expecting so many people to be so taken back because for me and I, the media loves these terms, right? So take whatever term you want, but this is not something to be quiet about greed. We're, you know, we're going into potentially recession. I'm not an economist. I'm not, you know, this is not my forte. So I'm following, I'm following lead on this of what we're seeing in the workplace. But if you are not able to externally hire and you are creating opportunities internally for your talent, whether it's a stretch assignment, whether it's taking on a promotion, whether it's an interim, this is what quiet hiring is defined as, right? Is an internal, a a company internally promoting or creating these opportunities for their internal team versus getting something from the outside. This is something to be celebrated because what you're doing is you're highlighting how much you're investing in your employees, your current talent, And you'll start creating a pipeline externally. So when you are ready to start hiring externally, they already get a glimpse into your culture. They get to see what you're doing. My biggest call out was for organizations and for individuals, because at the end of the day, an individual owns their compensation. If you are placed into these opportunities, make sure you're compensated accordingly. That should not be quiet. That should be very transparent as well. None of this should be quiet. It should all be from the rooftops, a transparent process that's celebrated because organizations are investing in their people.
0: I couldn't agree more, Rebecca. I worked with a brilliant woman and um, both she and I were up for a director role for way too long. Like we were promised this role for, I wanna say over five years and um, I didn't get it. She got it, but they told her, don't tell anyone. And I thought it was the worst way to treat someone. Here, we're going to give you this promotion. We're going to give you a band bump. We're going to give you all this added responsibility, but don't tell anyone because the guys are going to get jealous. Oh, it was just so painful. I just hated seeing it.
1: It's ridiculous. And if you think about values, going back to those values, when companies have the word authenticity or transparency or honesty, what does that mean? Every single piece of your business, including your policies, your practices, your culture, need to reflect that. And with the Pay Transparency Acts coming out all over the U.S., organizations, even if they're not in a pay transparent state, are going to have to jump on that bandwagon just to be able to compete. Because why would you join an organization that's not being transparent about their compensation practices, that's not being transparent about their promotion opportunities for advancement. There's absolutely no reason to when you have too many amazing organizations that are doing this and they're promoting
0: their people. Well, and I think companies are being put on blast right now for the ones that are having these cryptic compensation policies. And I came from sales. So the more cryptic they could make it, the better it served them. Mm -hmm. And no matter how well you thought you understood your comp plan, there was some nuance saying, oh, no, 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 you just got it wrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I love when people are kind of putting the kibosh on that. But, you know, talk about just, obviously, we just lost... You know, 70,000 people were affected by the last round of layoffs. And obviously, that's a lot of people. Um, But hiring practices, you know, I have some thoughts on the speed in which this goes, but I, I love your perspective on what is a normal amount of interviews for, uh, you know, a, a mid-level employee or a mid-level manager, you know, just as a guy rule of thumb, because um, for me, putting them through a 12 interview tribunal is insulting and unnecessary. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah. You know, with technology now and Gen Z coming in, no matter what role, if you don't have easy apply, and I, you think that would be a, a quick one for people to know, but I see it all the time. I said, no one's going to apply to your 12-page application via paper or even online nowadays. It needs to be a click of a button on a phone, right? So that's step one. And a lot of people haven't even met that mark, right? So there, there you go. Just make it easy so you can get an applicant in. And then, you know, depends on the company culture, depends on the role. I do think leadership roles should have more conversations. Because it's a relationship you're building, right? You don't go on one date and say, I'm getting married. That's no. not how, that's not, and this is what we used to do, even with organizations. It's as if one partner got to dictate everything. Like, no, this is a relationship. So I think those conversations should be had. When you diversify your panels, you are able to connect with someone on multiple levels and be able to really pull out and extrapolate that diversity of thought. And so that's your opportunity to leverage your teams to be efficient, but also get multiple perspectives in one interview. Of course, you don't want it overwhelming. I don't want to sit in front of 12 people. I'd be like, oh, my goodness. Um, But four or five people or a day of interacting with various leaders, um, whether it's in person, whether it's virtual, it's going to give you a good perspective, especially if your organization is set up for success. If your values are defined, if you have criteria on how you're evaluating your candidates, Mm -hmm. asking for concrete examples, if you need to see anything on the front and ask. Every, every candidate is excited to share their work that they've done, whether it's in presentation format, whether it's a sample of a project they've done. If you want some pre-work, just ask them or follow up with them in the interview and say, can we see this? Yeah. But then you're making the best use of their time and yours.
0: I think that's good, solid advice. What has the role of LinkedIn done to the hiring process?
1: A lot of things. I mean, the easy apply is one uh transparency just like you said you see posts and companies get put on blast if they're not transparent gen z is going to find it so <laughs> i mean all i can say from that is anything you hide it almost becomes this like little scavenger hunt for right them on their dinner so, time so just put it on blast now because i promise you it will be found <laughs> and, and then it's going to be an issue that you actually have to address versus if you put it up forward and said we've done this or these have been our opportunities in the past we're growing." Absolutely. Anyone is, is really open to listening and seeing how you're moving forward. But if you're hiding something, there's a lack of trust from the get go. And LinkedIn's been really great at being, anyone can post, right? Anyone can share what's going on within an organization. And they'll, they'll link it to stats, whether it's Glassdoor or Indeed, they're showing, oh, look at the pups. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're showing that, you know, this is how people are reacting to your
0: culture. Yeah, I, I think that's so great. And I, I the advice I, I always give, and I actually teach uh, a workshop on this, um, getting people comfortable with the fact that LinkedIn is no longer just an online resume. It's a platform for expertise. It's a chance for you to hone your voice. And um, it's so, so important for everybody to be recognized. And you know, yeah. if you're going to be looked at as a potential candidate, clean yourself up, like get yourself ready.
1: <laughs> and then use it. I I have all of my um clients that I coach with, especially if they're looking to grow, whether it's in the same company, whether it's a different role, whether it's a completely new industry, use that to find how did other people do that? How did they connect those dots? You know, their transferable skills and, and call them, do these informational interviews. Everyone's talking about themselves, reach out and say, Hey, I'm, a, I'm a, a student for life. I'm looking to potentially go into this direction. I would love to hear from you. What do you love about your role? What have you not loved? How did you get there? What would you have done differently? What is your compensation? What is your like day look like? How are you living in harmony? All of these questions takes 15 minutes. And most people end up building not only a mentor out of this, but a friendship And they start connecting dots where people aren't so far apart from each other, right? And I think that's the really, really cool thing is that when you just get on the phone and reach out to someone via LinkedIn, most people are extremely receptive.
0: I totally agree. My network has uh, grown so tremendously and I've made so many friends and so many clients. Um, It's really been so powerful. I I just, I'm so constantly in awe of what it gives back. Um, Okay. So shifting gears a little bit. What inspires you?
1: Oh, my goodness. So many things inspire me. But at the end of the day, I would say people, right? What they bring to the table, the energy that they, that they bring to any situation, their stories. Um, my first experience of culture came from the cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And one of my favorite questions is that we used to be able to ask everyone because we didn't do name tags. That was very new for any type of, especially four or five star property to not have name tags. But the goal was to lead with curiosity and ask someone their name, ask someone their story. Mm -hmm. And I've learned people's experiences and the perception through their world just by asking that question in the most beautiful way that when I'm having a challenging day or I need an energetic shift, sometimes I just think back to those stories of how they got where they got Mm -hmm. and what practice of resilience did they do and how have they brought that to the table. That inspires me every single day to do the work that I do, to to have the conversations that I have it's just it's like wearing a warm blanket.
0: <laughs> you just described the podcast well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So um okay one more good good one for you. What would you like your legacy to be?
1: I would say the energetic impact that I bring. I would like that legacy left. I love seeing when I've dropped energy in a place and then that's that's blossomed, right? And that mm-hmm. energy continues to foster and grow and That 100% is what, it tells me I know I've done my job and I've created an impact because that impact is continuing to to grow even without me. So that would be my answer.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that. And you're already well on your way. Rebecca, how do people find you?
1: Yeah, so um, my organization's called Energetic Impact. So you just go to my website, www.energeticimpact.com. I'm on LinkedIn, so I consistently share there and on TikTok and on Instagram. So I've been working with a really fun new marketing team out of Boston who's uh, getting me up to speed on all those (laughs) things too, which has been really fun. And then of course I have a book coming out. um, And so working on that with uh, McGraw-Hill, super excited to have an amazing publisher supporting me behind this. Um, It's all about energy at work. And that will be be releasing um, in October for pre-sales. And then, of course, in spring 2024, when we get it all done and published.
0: I cannot wait to read this book and I will be rooting for you. And we're already connected on LinkedIn, so I can't wait to see more. You've been such a great guest. I could have gone on for about three more hours because you've (laughs) put on all the topics near and dear to my heart. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your energy.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Stay tuned for more episodes of Heartbeat for Hire. Thanks everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at H 4 h or you can reach me at my website, com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.